The nobles poor and decay. Good captains and soldiers wanting. The people out of order. Justice not executed. The justices unmeet for their offices. All things dear. Division amongst ourselves. War with France and Scotland. The French king bestriding the realm. Having one foot in Calais and the other in Scotland. Steadfast enmity but no steadfast friendship abroad. On Sunday, November the 20th, Church bells were clanging an accompaniment to solemn te deums of thanksgiving throughout the country as Elizabeth took her place at the head of her new Privy Council. Earlier that day, she had performed what was to prove one of the most inspired acts of her reign when she made Sir William Cecil, later Lord Burley, her Secretary of State. He was then a man of 38, and already with great experience of English and foreign affairs, and one who had been her supporter and adviser for some years. That Sunday morning began a partnership between the Queen and her chief minister that was to exist until his death 38 years later. One of the first matters to be discussed were the preparations for her coronation, which it was agreed should take place on January the 15th, 1559. The vexing question was, who was to perform the actual ceremony? Pole, the Archbishop of Canterbury, had died a few days earlier, and Heath, the Archbishop of York, refused to take part. It was finally agreed that Owen Oglethorpe, Bishop of Carlisle, would perform the ceremony and that he would be supported by other bishops brought back from the obscurity of Queen Mary's reign. The Saturday before the coronation was set as the day of the strange ritual known as the Recognition Procession through the centre of London. This enabled the capital citizens to see her with their own eyes as she progressed in a velvet-draped ceremonial chariot from the Tower to Westminster, three crowded, boisterous miles. She was attended by a large retinue of councillors and courtiers, all walking on foot before and behind her conveyance. The crowds went wild at the sight of the young queen, dressed in a mantle of cloth of gold and with an ermine cape. As she went, she waved and smiled, obviously enjoying the waves of adulation that surrounded her on all sides. It was a very tired queen, who finally reached the gates of Whitehall Palace as an early day was falling and a mist was sweeping in from the river. And so to the coronation itself. It was a magnificent affair, as every ambassador present reported back to his master. At three o'clock, the state banquet in Westminster Hall was begun, with 800 people attending the Earl of Arundel and the Duke of Norfolk, being responsible for the said banquet, rode about the hall on horseback. The feasting went on until one in the morning, and the Queen was so fatigued that the state opening of Parliament was postponed for two days, until the 25th. On that day began a love affair between Queen and her people that was to last for the rest of her life. Parliament, in all honesty, continued to stress what they considered a matter of utmost importance, her marriage. Although during her lifetime more than 20 suitors were put forward as suitable, she was determined, even at this early point in her reign, never to marry. To the speaker, knights and burgesses of the lower house who so urged her, she replied, And albeit... It doth please Almighty God to continue me still in the mind to live out of the state of marriage. 
It is not to be feared, but he will so work in my heart and in your wisdoms that as good a provision may be made in convenient time, whereby the realm shall not remain destitute of an heir that may be a fit governor, and peradventure more beneficial to the realm than such offspring as may come of me. For though I be never so careful for your well-doings, yet may mine issue grow out of kind and become ungracious. She then drew her coronation ring from her finger and held it aloft to show it to the commons. When I received this ring, I solemnly bound myself in marriage to the realm, and it will be quite sufficient for the memorial of my name and for my glory if, when I die, an inscription be engraved on a marble tomb saying, Here lieth Elizabeth, which reigned...